Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, James McSorley and Mark Schofield back to talk about another weekend of basketball. And what a weekend of basketball it was, Mark. It was. There was at least one or two games on. Shall we start with the French League, which just ploughed on as if nothing was happening? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to address the French League slander at some point, probably, yeah. considering what they can did. I'm joined by Mr. Pfft France himself. Yeah, but I only do that to Mendel. Um, <laughs> and it's out of love. And it's probably to balance the fact that I say really nice things about Mendel far too often. Yeah, that's true. More often than he deserves. Um, so you're back from... Uh, Champions Cup, which was in Thuringen, that was Friday to Sunday. Uh, we were going to record last night, but I think your team president was giving you a lift and took you on a whistle-stop tour of the city of Bilbao on your way home. So Yeah, he just had something to do. It was one of those, you ever get someone offers you a lift, and then the second you get into the car, they're like, oh, I've just got this one thing to do. And you're like, hey, uh, the bus would have been quicker, fair enough. Like. It's like a bus getting on, be like, hey, I'll drop you straight to your house. I've just got this thing to do. I have to stop at these little things that have signs on them yeah. every three <laughs> minutes. But yeah. So we have got a lot of games to talk about. There was 12 games over the weekend. Um, as we have been doing with the other Euro Cups, we're not going to go game by game because it gets pretty repetitive and you end up making the same points about the same teams. So I think the move is we're going to look at the final standings and we'll do kind of lower half first and then upper half of the tournament second, keep people hanging around for the good stuff so these lessons count. So you're already in at this point, I would say, but yeah. Probably. Um, So we'll read off final standings for Champions Cup 2022 or as it's known, Champions Cup 30-something in the year of our Lord and Saviour, Kyle Marsh. Um, yes. So it was champions Albacete, congratulations to them. Second place Ilunion, third place Thuringen, fourth place Landil, fifth place Le Canet, sixth place Cantu, seventh place Bilbao, eighth place Mo. So should we hit the five to eight range first? And do we want to work our way up? Because I feel like neither of us are going to have a huge amount of insight on Mo at this point. No. Um... That rhymes. Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll start with Mo. Um, it's kind of like the ceiling on a team that has Sofiane is how well Sofiane's going to play, and he was fine. And also, every team in the world is like, ah, probably don't jump his threes unless he gets hot, and then jump the life out of him and kind of hope that he doesn't start playing team basketball, but I don't think it's happened a whole lot yet. So, yeah, he's he's very talented and one of the most athletic people in the world of wheelchair basketball, but there is a, like a, he tries to dribble the ball, they dribble the air out of the ball a little bit, and that's kind of where their ceiling is, but um, Kyle is cool. Yeah, he, watching he's him is, is one of the great joys of the entire thing. He's just that I don't know if any ones make it look that easy, apart from maybe Abdi. But I think there's an argument that Kyle looks less bothered even than Abdi. Yeah, they're they're about that. Um, um, Helen Freeman is great, obviously. Um, who's their young big? Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this because French is just vowels, but Traore. 
Triorite. Yeah, oh yeah, Triorite. Yeah, he is the new people's champion, apparently. <laughs> like Hasso is good enough and well known enough that you can't be like the oh yeah, that guy, he's great. Yeah. Everyone loves him, but apparently word on the street, that guy Triorite is lovely and the best. And yeah, like he's he's only young, he's a under 22. Yeah, um, yeah, he's obviously a big lad. Um, so I think if he got in chip, which might come from just playing at a high level a lot, yeah. he'd, he'd 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 be all right. But yeah, yeah. So Mo got to the eighth spot by virtue of having Thuringen in the quarterfinal, uh, Cantu in the semifinal, and then Bilbao in the seventh eighth game. So Thuringen was. I mean, we went through this on the preview podcast with Greg, and I think we gave that one the least amount of time of any prediction because it was like, hey, these guys the play- should beat the other team by yeah. X amount. Yeah. Um, and then Mo and Cantu was kind of interesting for a minute there while Sofian was flying around, and the Cantu guys were kind of like, hey, we thought we didn't have to put up with this anymore when he left the Italian league. But yeah, he was ba- back to haunt them. And then Obviously, the seventh, eighth game was against you guys, so I don't know if you've got any inside info on what playing against them is like or the constant terror that Sofian seems to inspire any time there's a rebound and he might be pushing up the floor with the ball. Yeah, Sofian, the terror he inspires is when you've got your own, you've got the team's rebound on the defensive end, you kick it out to someone and he's just like, eh, I'm going to have a go at this. Yeah. Like, I think it kind of impedes their structure, but it's because he's like, I can get a piece of everything. It'll be fine. Um, and he does. Like, he just absolutely just took the ball off me for fun at one point. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's like playing against, there's a handful of people who just go and do that on their own in the full court, like when you're dribbling the ball up and it's like, hey, we need three people to yeah, take yeah. the ball up here. Like, we need to run the drill that you're just in three lanes pushing up the court, passing left to right, back and forward. Like, yeah. But the fact that you can do that means it's obviously beatable, but it just takes a little bit of discipline to be like, all right, sure. if you leave a ball handler on their own, he's going to take that. But definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's not a massive amount to get into on Mo. My only question, having watched them, is you mentioned that the ceiling for the Sofian teams is generally kind of what it is, but is there any upward trajectory for Mo outside of hoping that Traore continues to improve? And I don't really know what pieces they need outside of kind of Sofian, him, Kyle. I don't know if Helen is long for there, is going back or is moving on elsewhere, but there seems to be not an obvious complementary piece to add to what they've got to bump them up the level. Um, well, they play with a junior point in France, so they don't normally have to put a one on the floor, and they did. Um, like, that's normally Helen Freeman instead of a one. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Which that's... is pretty mental. But no, in terms of like making their that team better, like, better players is not really much to say, but like you had one more piece in there in the middle. Um, but I still don't know because, like, I don't know if you added another very good basketball player on a Sofian team. Do they see the ball? Yeah, uh, I guess there was the Sofian, Jordi Ruiz, San Stefano teams that were pretty successful, but that was in a dip for the Italian league. So 
maybe they would have got by without those two together. I don't know. No, no, I don't. Th- I, I think, yeah, that's that's entirely fair. But like, if you add Jordi Ruiz to this team, they they're they're very good as well. Um, but I don't, I don't know, man. Okay, no more of that. Shall we do Bilbao? Word has it you were there. Yeah, you might not have seen me. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, tough weekend playing like five, six guys at all times. Um, playing six is illegal. Playing five guys most of the time. Um, first game out against Landell, I think, until about the last five minutes, it was a bit closer than anyone thought it would be. Like it was five at one point, like end of the third ish. Think, yeah, yeah, it was. They they took it away mid fourth quarter and they hit two threes in a row, and then it was kind of free throws and stuff from there. But yeah, it was definitely seven at one point. I only watched that game periodically periodically because I was in the office and trying to watch it on my phone under the desk a lot of the time. But sure. there was multiple times during the game where I checked in and I was like, hey, if they can keep hanging around, this might be all right. And then you guys did hang around and it's like, oh, if they keep hanging around, Landa will have infinitely more end of game options than Bilbao do. Which yeah, is it's of- that thing of you call it, you, like, you get a timeout sort of middle of the fourth or like near the start of the fourth and the board is always hey so it's six or it's eight or whatever like if we can get like three stops and three scores we can bring it back and then they get three stops and three scores and the game's over like it's like the hey whoever that has this little next run either brings it back or takes it out of reach and the team that has more quality is way infinitely more likely to do that obviously like but it's the thing of like if you're punching up that much, you're just hanging on. And we did a really good job. The guys that were playing did a really good job, especially breaking that press for what felt like 30 out of the 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of game planning going into how we were going to try and stop them. And then a little bit of, okay, this is the rough idea of how we can get through this press. And they kind of, we got it done. Like we got some, like we got layups out of it at different points, which surprised me, but it is a lot of just like trying to isolate certain people and trying to make sure you can get a good matchup because they've got so many, like at any given point, they might have the four fastest players with best chair skills on the floor. Yeah. I think you you guys, your advantage against the press is that both of your biggest guys that you're rolling out there in Manu and Asso are deceptively quick straight line they're not the most like agile nimble guys but there was a couple of situations where like Manu had somebody on him and Manu was like if I get three pushes in and just go they probably aren't gonna get in front of me here so there was yeah. like a lot of long pass for a po- like a close range post up that was entirely born out of like just a burn on one defender and- yeah and that kind of give like a bit of a blueprint as we'll get on to like Landil's next game of like ah, if we just get to there and hit tough shots yeah. but, <laughs> but I don't know like we couldn't get it done Yeah, but I guess like we, we give really good account of ourselves in that game I think so also I got subbed on at the end of the second quarter for 17 seconds and all I did was catch a rebound and heave a half court shot and if I played 17 seconds and had three points on one shot from the halfway line and then didn't play again that would have been hilarious (laughs) club three trillion 
Um, right, shall we bump onto your next game? Because I think your reward for having played Landil was that you got matched up with Lacane, and I think Alexi Ramone in that game had the single highest scoring performance of the entire tournament. Yeah, the guy had 40, yeah. um, which was pretty nuts because I think a lot of teams game plan to not jump him because he's a sort of bit of a streaky scorer and is also so quick. Yeah. That he's one of those like, ah, we're going to really try not to jump this guy because if we jump him, we might be in trouble. One of those. Um, and we didn't jump him and we were in trouble. Because <laughs> I think we were, yeah, that was the game plan, but they're also, they had the size to sort of get inside on us, which not many teams had. So we were thinking, all right, well, number one is try and protect the paint. Um, and then he got going. And then at one point they were getting man out and going in transition so much that they were getting inside anyway. So we were like, okay, listen, we have to just lock the paint down. Like they started getting layups on, they just run, they were just running layups in a semi-transition against us. And we were like, hey, you kind of, like even if someone seems like they're banging them in from 18 feet, I guarantee you that's a worse shot than a layup. Like there's a weird thing if, um, if you think, there's a, like there's a thing of you could fall into the trap of being like, no, these guys are shooting as well as they would from directly under the basket, and you're like, yeah, no, probably not. No, unless it's like wide open versus like hasso in your face post ups, but yeah. it's it's not. And if they're making them, it's probably just the maths. Think the maths would make you think that they're not going to make the next few. Yeah. But so- yeah, no, he was unbelievable, and they are quite good and. I don't know. They felt very organized. Yeah. Um, we'll get on weird. to the, we'll get on to the Kenne in a little bit as we do the next couple of games. But I guess from your guys' angle, what what's the recovery period of like you say, dealing with that Landil press for 30 minutes and then being like, oh good, all we have to do is go out there and play the team that tries to combine wheelchair basketball with Dodgems. Yeah, no, that was a real thing of it as well because we were with them. Like, we were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. It was close up single figures at halftime. And then third quarter, they just blew us out. And I think it's the five guys played 38 minutes against Landil Press the day before and then had to play Le Carre. And yeah, I think that has to be a factor. And there's a weird thing of... You don't feel maybe you don't feel that tired, but your brain starts to go the wrong way before your arms do. Probably yeah, there's that doing stupid stuff, or the effort drops slightly without thinking it does. And the way we've played all season, you kind of like you have to. The way Bilbao have been playing, you have to just go hard at people, and Lekane are also well equipped to do that. Yeah, I think it's kind of the downfall of a couple of guys who do a lot of the heavy lifting for you in um, David and Chema are obviously not the youngest. I know we joke about Chema being various ages, but those are like two guys well into their 30s who... Ah, Chema's only a bit into his 30s. David's hanging on to his 30s. Um, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, David was also a little banged up because Landil hit chairs um, a good bit. Uh, a little bit. Some of them your, um, your young guy, Alejandro, 
um, has obviously not played a lot all season, so it's a massive ask of him to be like, hey, come and play nearly 40 minutes a game against these two exceptionally mobile teams as a one. Yeah, what I wanted to say about Alex is he um, had like a medical issue um, and was just out, like wasn't even training for months. Came back a couple of weeks ago, has played, like has maybe trained like three weeks and played a few minutes in a couple of games. And then he just had to go and play 40 against some of the best teams in the world. So fair play. Like he was, and also just like ones get knackered. (laughs) Like it's really hard to do all of that with a, a third of the body. Like yeah. going into what you're doing, man. That's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of load on, not a lot of function. Yeah, I think. But yeah, um, no, nah, he did well, man. He 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 did his job. He did yeah, my okay. job. <laughs> this was, I know you guys had a stretch early in the year, and then he's obviously not been back um, post Christmas and whatever. But without us, yeah, this was the first time basically all year where I've been like, it would have be really helpful to be able to run Esteche out and go, for example, Hasso, Manu, yourself, David, and Esteche gives you a different look to what you were having to do that was basically your only option because you couldn't make a sub really without going under points in your current configuration. And Esteche wasn't great when he was with you by any means, but it would have been beneficial to have him this weekend, if nothing else. Yeah, like Esteche has shown at various levels to be a good basketball player, certainly in streaks. Yeah. Like he was kind of struggling to figure out where he fit in with us. And then he was the MVP of the South American qualifiers over Christmas. Like he's he's a good basketball player. He was great in Cantu. I think him trying to figure out where he fits in in packing orders in teams is the issue that he has. That's that's me having been around him for like a month. Like yeah what, what do i know but i think yeah like having a good competent basketball player with experience who's played champions cups to be able to rotate in and out would have made a dip yes like Definitely. but yeah that no, was tough and our head coach wasn't there because he has a job so couldn't leave on a thursday yeah um um so asia was taking it and that was a really cool experience because he's obviously like quite switched on so that was that was cool to see his brain work and not like see his brain work not as a player yeah do do you think any part of us here was watching you guys deal with the speed and agility of landil and then lakane and any part of his brain was like thank god i'm not out there that looks horrible i think he's too much of a player to not want to have been out there to be fair also like he's got a good track record of his team dealing with presses because he's just like, it was funny. Like we kind of played with him coaching the way that, well, it makes sense because he kind of, he's on the, he's a coach on the floor. A lot of the times that's a stereotype, but we kind of played how he would have wanted to on the floor anyway, which was interesting, but Yeah. yeah, a lot of patience. Like, yeah, no, he was really, really good to have around, obviously. Um, yeah, would have been called Adam on the floor, but he's he's on the way. Awesome. And speaking of teams with no coach, shall we move on to Cantu, who you guys looked like you were trying to battle for like wheelchair basketball squad minimalism 
at this tournament. Yes. Um, yeah, um, they didn't have a coach because uh, their coach also works. Well, their assistant coach, I think their original coach was not vaccinated, so got binned. Yeah, I did hear that. And that they were going to step up their assistant coach, but I think they stepped him up to head coach before this tournament and then he couldn't travel. <laughs> so it's like yeah. terrible look, but I guess the head coach wouldn't have been there anyway. So uh, Jack Pogenonazzi was there. I think he's their captain, so he was their standing coach by default. But um, yeah, was the he was the experienced player that didn't start, so had the clipboard sort of thing. But like a lot of timeouts for him, a lot of timeouts for Cigar too, and people out in in Barnsley Italian, which is amazing. <laughs> and every time I mention Ian Cigar, I will have to just mention that. But uh, yeah, man, um, they did all right. They kind of. Like, first game went how it was meant to. Their second game also went how it was meant to. Their third game didn't, yeah, I would yeah. say. I have, we should mention at this point, before I get into it, but they were without Filippo Carasino, who... Yeah, that's more important than a coach, potentially, yeah. not being able to play their four big. Yeah, so that took away their ability to... They've stacked bigs around Sophie in a lineup that we saw them go to against Santa Stefano a couple of times. Um which I dare say would have had the same effect against Lacane that it did against San Stefano, possibly, but we'll never know. Kind of, um, kind of similar. Um, in like, yeah, it's one of those teams that's so accustomed to playing bigs to get out of a press. Yeah, which is strange, but yeah, um, that's not that strange. There's a handful of teams that do it. Obviously, you can just go post to post to post. Yeah. Figure it out, but that would have helped them against like an A potentially. But they were doing all right for three quarters, weren't they? They were. I'm um yeah, I'm not the most enormous Filippo Carasino fan in the world. Like I've always thought he's all right, but nothing amazing. But they definitely did miss him this weekend at the very least. And yeah, he's a big three and a half that'll hit a post up and can handle if you're stuck. Like yeah. and it got me thinking. What's that? It got me thinking that this is, I know we joke about this every time there's like an open roster slot everywhere, but there's two Aussie mids who are allegedly knocking around. And I think Cantu is my favorite dark horse destination for Tom O'Neill Thorne and or Sean Norris. It's funny. Um, um, that would be lovely. I think one of them's already sorted, apparently, our there thereabouts but I don't know about the other one they wanted to go together but yeah. we were also told that one of them likes to change their mind about going to Europe yeah but um, yeah um yeah that would be a lot of fun any team that just any team that normally doesn't play that like rough and tumble jungle ball style stuff like with mobile threes flying around I'm just like let's inject one of these guys onto this team yeah I think it's it's definitely it but like if you could get both of them, the lineup combinations are ridiculous. I don't know if they would get either or both, but even with one of them, it would be pretty cool. Because um, I think there's still, with Cantu, there's a lot of the Adolfo Badoon DNA um, and playing very deliberately at all times. But just ruling out, like, um, Papi, Sigar, the two Aussies under 1-5 is yeah. class. It's so good. Um, I don't think it will happen because by the sounds of it, the Aussies are, or at least one of them is already um, under lock and key at this point. But 
Yeah, I, I was just thinking, because I think I watched them against Albacete and I was like, the difference here is Cantu having to play two lows and no mids basically all the time. Yeah. Um, and then similar thing against Le Canet, really, who... I mean, we kind of got, and I guess this transitions us because this was the five and six game, but we kind of listed our who we thought the top eight teams in Europe were um, when we had Greg on the show last week. But we kind of talked about whether we thought Lacane or Cantu were the eighth team. And it's like Lacane made a relatively competent case that they were the clear cut fifth team in this tournament. However, you want to slice that with the teams that yeah. weren't there. Yeah. Um, Lacane without Alexi Ramone would be shambolic, which is why I put Alexi in my All Star Five at least, which was not reflected in the tournament because he is entirely the difference between them being a reasonable fifth seed and worse than Mo. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know if them without him, like if you replace them and you just go like threes. And whatever, like big three and a half. Yeah. I don't know if they still beat Mo. I think they do. Maybe. Um, like, what do they play? What can they play with Ramon off the floor? But it's fun. Like, the fact that we don't know says a lot. But yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess they could make a line of works. They've got Toscano and those guys who play as a Toscano is a two five. They've got like three or four threes. So, yeah, they could probably just put out like a mids lineup that would be all right. But yeah, they just need a two. <laughs> Who in the world of wheelchair basketball is more, is clear cut more mobile than Alexi Ramone? God, um, there's a handful of guys, but there's not many. I I think there's a handful of guys who are in the conversation. I don't know if there's anybody you look at who like he's more mobile than him. Yeah, there's no one. I don't know if there's many people that make him look like stupid. Like, there's no one that makes him look. Like Matt Scott makes other people look. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Matt's up there. Sure. Um, Matt, so, Phil, Harry. Yeah, I think Harry's Harry's possibly the one, and then it's like Ramone's obviously a four sat very low, so you could probably make the argument that a lot of fours, if they were sat that tucked in and kind of um, aerodynamic, that maybe they would be up there, but. He's yes. just, he makes it work. And I was feeling at the start of Lacane's opening game against Lunion, I was feeling incredibly smug with my Lacane might do this one take because they were up at half time. I four. And it all went horribly from there, from a Lacane standpoint, at least. Yeah. To be fair, your call was more having seen how Lunion struggle with like sort of run and gun mobile teams um they could struggle against like and they did for 20 minutes so like you're kind of you're not far i don't think you know what i mean yeah i think i think i was pleased with the idea but there was like greg came on here and was like hey all our guys give or take have been to champions cup before and i kind of roll my eyes at that because i think that's a little bit of a cliche in a lot of cases but I think that very much did show up with Alunion versus Lacane first game because it was a team of guys who go to Champions Cup every year versus a team of guys who maybe have one or two Champs Cup appearances between them off the top of my head um, yeah like I don't 
I don't know. There's a weird thing where it's like, I think it's, it's I, like, I don't know if them having played games specifically in the Champions Cup makes a difference. Although like, I don't, like people who have won it could tell me that it does. Fair enough. But uh, I think it's have them having been there, but not Champions Cup, just in actual big games and knowing what they're doing and yeah, having sure. played a lot of games at high levels, whether it's in the Spanish League or the Copa del Rey or international or whatever. Like, I don't think it's any, like, internal no. internalised knowledge of the Champions Cup, although it might be. I think it's just... Yeah, I think... It, good, they're good players that just figured it out. They were able to go, right, okay, they're putting the pressure on us here. Yeah, I think it, it's a high stakes thing, right? Because when you're Lacane and you come out and you're leading at halftime, everything's going well. And so you don't ever really stop to assess the stakes of the situation. Whereas then when things cease to go well, as they did in the second half, it's kind of the realizing what you're letting slip away on a big stage is like infinitely magnifying. And yeah. makes it tougher to process, I think. But yeah, I think there's a thing of okay, El Union go down a handful against Le Canet, and they're able to go right. We know what being down six against a good team is. We need to get yeah. this sort of look. We need to throw the ball here to this guy behind this guy with these pieces and the other three spots in this formation, and we will get high-quality offense. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're kind of just kicking doors down, like, yeah, sure, and the door doesn't get kicked down, there's no, okay, maybe I go look for a key. There's a good metaphor. <laughs> that's a pretty good metaphor, I think. Yeah, well, but, um, yeah, I think that's the thing. And it's like I've just said that, like, can I deserve more credit than I used to give them? And they do. But I think there, there was a thing of, ah, we're we're running these guys into the ground here. Oh no, they're figuring it out. Can we run harder? Like, yeah, I think it was to the point on that kind of lack of composure. I think Hussein Belade from Lacane had like a thirteen point first half against Illunion, or maybe yeah. a ten point first half, and he was making shots from outside. But he's not it, like outside shooting isn't what's going to subsist his game. So he went cold and Lacane didn't really come up with another source of offense. There was like, they had Ivan Toscano out there and Illunio were playing Sarah Revuelta and it's like, you've got an enormous 2-5 being guarded by her on occasions, just chuck him the ball and he'll make a post up at a reasonable enough clip that it's a good look, but they don't have that level of processing. I think, yeah, but even then, I don't know if that came to it. I don't know if you'd be happy to let just kind of post up to win you the game. Like, I don't, uh, yeah, it might, it might, it's good. He's better than I, I don't want to say thought he was, but you, I kind of like, I had the funniest thing of when I saw him in person. I was, he was talking to the, the Spanish guys in Bilbao, right. and I was kind of hanging around him, and I was like, that's why I was like, where did this guy go? Because he, like, he is here now. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's him because he was always he was always shaved head. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, I like to say, maybe that maybe that's a reach, but um I think it yeah, was like try and get some sort of plan to get towards quality offense a bit of, with a bit of poise. Yeah, sure. So anything else on the bottom half of the tournament? I think we've hit on everybody there. 
Um, I just I randomly was watching Hussein Belied and I was like, this is the most Santa Stefano player I've ever seen, and I can't tell you why. I think that they randomly have a bunch of guys who you can really picture on other teams. Like Toscano strikes me as the most Bilbao guy in the world for some reason, because I can just imagine Asia being like, hey, a decent size 2-5 to sit on the block for me. I reckon I could hit him with dump downs all day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Belade, I first played against him in, when he was at Julianova and he must have been, well, that was going back a while now. So he was a lot younger then. But he was so agile and mobile, it was ridiculous. And he's kind of lost that at this point. Uh, uh, he can still move, having been on the floor. Um, he could still move, not as much, but yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of doing this outside shooting thing at the minute. Maybe that's why you think he's sent Stefano-esque, because he plays like he can shoot from outside. <laughs> no, here's what it is. Undersized, quick enough forwards that are fun to watch. Fair enough. Does he? Did he try to bite anyone's hand throughout this entire tournament? Because that's my lasting memory of him, is him trying to bite my hand when I swipe for a rebound. Uh, no, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> no. Cool. On that note, should yes. we move on to the real stuff? Yes, the real stuff. Okay, so... For- In fourth place. Fourth place, RSV Landil. So this one is um, surprising. Yeah. And so Landale, weirdly, I mean, we were talking about this over WhatsApp, but the team that finishes fourth finishes with less wins and more losses than the team that finishes fifth, which is weird. Um, yeah, it's how tournaments work. Yeah. Well, it is when it's only a knockout phase, I guess. There's no group stage to pad your numbers. But um, yeah, Landale beat you guys on day one. And then subsequently lost to Alunion in the semi and lost to Thuringen in the bronze game. And it just looked, for a team that's selling point is always their kind of fluidity and cohesion and, you know, moving the ball till they find the right thing. It certainly didn't look like there was a lot of that going on is probably the best analysis I can give this. Yeah. No, it was, I, I don't know. Um, I think it was more like against us, they were fine. I think against Alunion, it was more the defensive end. Like Alunion had no real issue breaking the press. Sure. Um, we can talk about that now. We can talk about that when we get to the Alunion part, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that now. The semifinals um, need some attention. To be fair, they were probably the best. They were the two best games I've ever seen. I was so content watching them both. Like I just kept <laughs> texting people being like, this is great. I know I love basketball, but man, I love basketball. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for starters, like Amadou and Bill both had unbelievable games against them. Yeah, um, just got the stats on now. Amadou and Bill were... A combined 24 from 33 from two. Yeah, and I guess, I, I don't know, obviously, but if you're game planning for a union, you kind of, you speak about two other players before you speak about those guys, I would say, um, most of the time. Sure. You do yeah. a lot of Greg and Terry game planning. Um, I don't know, like Landil are one of the best prepared teams in the world as well, so I'm sure they were ready for this, but I think like we've, played games against Alunion where 
you've kind of gone, well, you can't take care of everything. So as long as we get a chair in front of this person and post up, or as long as we don't let them get their casters to the charge circle, like, yeah. uh, but, um, Amadou was unbelievable. And I think that helped their press break or did the opposite it's kind of, that's what broke Landil's press. Like they were super content to kind of, they had enough handling on the floor and they have two absolutely massive guys. Yeah. And they were sort of happy enough to get to elbow post-ups with Bill and him go 12 from 14 or whatever he went. Yeah. Um, he was 12, 12 underrated Bill stat from this game, eight assists, which I think were entirely him catching high post and then feeding Amadou. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he does a little bit of like, behind a screen skip to a cutter yeah um but yeah no they had the i think well this is not very landill focused but i think where the press kind of fell off a little bit was their ability to sort of i don't know um if you're pressing and you're high and you're high and you're flat and you're above the three-point line and one side gets broken down and it's Greg and Amadou in a pick and roll. And everyone else is like, yeah, but I've, I'm flat up here in the three-point line. Like, Greg's going to create something, and Amadou is going to finish it most days. Yeah, and he certainly did today. But there was a lot of, like, to be fair, there was a lot of them hitting tough shots as well. So, like, point for the defense. Yeah, and I but, think to, to give Landell some credit on this one, we talked about the top two guys on the Illunion scouting report, and they held... Greg and Terry to a combined 21 points on 19 shots, which is like not bad efficiency, but I think Illunion would be not thrilled with the idea that their um, their two main guys are only getting 19 shots up in a 40-minute game. Uh, if you said, hey, uh, Miguel Vaccaro, 21 on 19 shots for Greg and Terry, he'd be like, oh, each happy days. No wonder we won the game. But exactly. um, um, yeah, so the, I think it's like they were able to take that away, but at the expense of some, uh, like a lot of Amadou layups. And yeah, I also, like, I, but like so much of Bill's stuff were just like mental post ups. Like he was unbelievable, which is like, there's not a lot you can do about some of the stuff he was doing, like some of his like free throw line post-ups with mids on him. I was like, oh my goodness. But yeah, yeah. that's one of the best games I've seen Bill play and Bill has been great for years. Like, Yeah, I was just I think Bill's best stretch I've ever seen was um, there was a Champions Cup when it just used to be the final four a couple of years ago where I think it was first it was Illunion, Cantu, and then Illunion, somebody else. And that was at a point where teams just took it upon themselves to double Terry above the three-point line and yeah. try and leave Sarah as much as they could. And Bill was like, well, how about every time they double Terry, I just tuck in behind the screen and make this bank shot like nine times out of ten. But yeah. this was as good as that, if not better. But um, I think the really telling thing from the Landil perspective is they kind of went away from their agile lineup for a good chunk of it to try and match bring Rio and match him up with Bill yeah Rio. also Rio is unbelievable this is what I was going to say Rio came in and in 23 minutes he had 19 points and six rebounds and it just kind of felt like it didn't 
create a whole lot of consequence. Like he kept Landell in the game, but there was no stage of the game where you're like, oh, Bill's not getting this now that Rio's come in. Yeah. Um, yeah, they still weren't able to stop them. I guess that's the thing with like if you're pressing or you're like flat highlighting, you're kind of less intent on matching up, more intent on just getting into it. I don't know if that's the case. Sure. I don't know. They they do they do some things that are far above me, I would say. But <laughs> um but yeah, like I was just really surprised that Landil were like L Union were able to just deal with the high pressure defense so much but yeah i still love how landale play man it proved to be it proved to be like missing one or two things in the end i think like yeah like some teams were able to sort of just like brute force their way past it sure which was interesting to see because i wasn't sure that was possible but yeah that my only question raised by this is Landil, Tommy Bomer had 33, Rio had 19, Brian Bell had 13. Hero was kind of the guy for, who didn't massively show up for them. He had eight points on 12 shots. But you kind of look at this Landil box score from the semi-final and you're like, actually, what more against the typical output they would get? They had 77 points to group. You're kind of like, what more would you actually ask of them other than that Hero makes a couple more? And, uh, 77 isn't the problem. It yeah, is. Sure. Like, 83 for Lunion is the um the issue here. But yeah, I don't know. I think this ultimately Greg talks about Lunion hitting their ceiling, and you watch this game. If you don't only have watched this um Illunion game all year and you were told that Illunion lost to Mediva twice, you would have been like, but how on earth did they handle the pressure of Landil and make it? look like you know they were designed to thrive against this kind of thing it's completely weird to me yeah but, i wonder if almost like the chaos of the mediba pressure got to them yeah. where if they were like okay there are five guys in front of us the one pointer is over here we yeah, can yeah. cross here we can isolate someone there we could like i don't know they did very very well my call going into that game was probably landill by a handful and to be fair a few more stops or like traditional efficiency from Bill and or Amadou. Um, but yeah, fair play. Two absolutely massive games. Cool. And then Landell into the bronze medal game. I don't know what happened. They just couldn't hit Yeah, it. well, we'll get into that one now because um, I think it is easier to then do this and then talk about Albacete's final billing because they're obviously the, the winners of the whole thing. And what are we doing if we don't? give them center stage. So this was Landil Thuringen in the bronze medal game. And we haven't seen this for a little while. Landil beat Thuringen early in the year and then Thuringen kind of put the clamps on Landil in about February time, whenever it was that they played the return fixture in the German league. And yeah, this one was very much more of the same of that first one. It was... 39-20 39-20 for Thuringen at halftime and never really let up from there. Is that, no. um, but this was this was interesting because Thuringen got here off the back of playing Albacete in which 
uh, Vahid and Haluski looked thoroughly mortal against Albacete, who, despite having Lee, aren't the most intimidating defense of all time. They're a bit more of an offensive slanted team. Um, yeah, well, no, I mm, I don't know. Like, if you can get Lee and Alejandro on the floor at all times, like, not yeah. at all times, that was about 20 minutes a game, but that that is enough size to deal with. I think you kind of think Haluski and Vahid are absolute monsters, and they are, but, like, Lee and Ali are both also absolute monsters. And I know uh, Albacete don't, didn't play Ali 40 minutes a game because he's still coming back from his shoulder stuff, but... Yeah, they they had the size to actually. We've ended we've ended up talking about the other semifinals, so we'll we'll step away from it. But I do I do think Albacete's size was actually really consequential. Yeah, yeah, agree. Reasons we will speak about. Yeah. So this was Landil coming off the semifinal, which they lost to Union, and we said that their offense wasn't the problem in the semifinal, uh, which. Is a fair argument, but if it wasn't in the semi-final, then their offense certainly was not ideal here because they finished this game with fifty-one points to Thuringen's seventy-five. Yes, um, Tommy had a had a rough one. Can yeah. you, you have his stat line in front of you there? Yeah, so Tommy with nine points on three of nineteen shooting. That's two from eleven twos and one from eight threes. Yeah, I mean. Like I was speaking to someone and I was like, when this happens, how much of your team talk could just be like, hey man, we hit more shots than this next time we play them and it's an all right game. Um, but like he wasn't he's a good enough scorer that like I don't know if he can miss a couple and be like, all right, that's not on me. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly like if you're on the floor, you gotta shoot the right shots. He does shoot some wild ones, obviously, but he's also one of the best shot makers in the world. So like I wonder if yeah, I wonder what he needed. Like he started off the um he started off the Alunion game just posting up ones and I was like, oh, this is class. <laughs> but um obviously they have a lot of size going on. Sure. Um everywhere yeah. on the floor, even Yitch is quite big. But yeah, and he going back to the game they played against each other in February, Tommy came on here with us and was basically like, yeah, they really figured out putting the pressure on me and making me dribble into everything rather than being able to catch and kind of go. And talking about how Thuringen now have, you know, put two convincing wins over Landil, they've kind of closed Tommy off and made the other guys carry it. Yeah, they're really, really good at like a lot of what Tommy has been getting and what he does really, really well is like he's really, really agile and able to square up off a dribble. So he'll do a lot of like sit behind a screen, gets jumped the very first time, obviously, because he's unbelievable at what he does. And then take, take a little dribble off and just be ready to launch half a second later. But they're so like they're so persistent with like, okay, we threw this guy at you on the perimeter pick comes, we follow around it anyway to try and send you into size. So he doesn't get the like one dribble off a pick looks that he gets against a lot of teams, but uh, yeah, he like, I I don't know how many three from 19s you're going to get from Tommy. And a lot of it is obviously it's like, how much do you 
give the defense credit how much do you say that he's going to shoot better than that anyway it's probably somewhere in the middle but um you can certainly put someone in a spot that they're more likely to have a rough day at the office yeah definitely uh yeah i mean it was just kind of to wrap up on the land hill thing before we look at throwing it a bit more closely they got 16 from brian and uh 15 from hero i and outside of that Rio, we just talked about having a big game against Salunian. He had five points in this game going against the Thuringen Bigs, which isn't massively surprising because I think Rio's awesome, but he's definitely more of a perimeter or kind of pick his spots guy than someone who wants to go full wrestling match with Vahid and Haluski. Sure. How uh, many minutes was that in? Uh, that was 23 minutes. Oh, geez. I didn't, didn't realize it was that much. And yeah, with Tommy kind of taken out of it and Mosler only played a few minutes and I think was outsized by Vahid and Lohuski as well. With Tommy out of it, there just weren't enough sources of Landil offense. And obviously when Tommy's shooting badly, the knock-on effect is that Brian has to do more of the perimeter stuff. And that's a lot of times your biggest guy who is kind of undersized anyway is pulled away from getting inside and finishing like he's still pretty capable of even against a bigger team. So I think the knock-on effect of Tommy struggling with a shot is that maybe more damaging than missing the shots themselves, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. It's the knock-on effect. Although there's a weird thing of like, it's not like you lose the fact that they jump Tommy because like you you don't stop jumping no, Tommy when he misses think, 16 shots in a row. Like I think they've gotten pretty good at jumping and being able to play off that, whereas I think most defences would still jump Tommy even if he was having an off day and would suffer because of it, whereas Thuringen have basically baked into their game plan that they're going to jump in for 40 minutes regardless of how he's shooting and find a way to be okay with that. And ultimately that worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, They, they keep their bigs home all the time, which kind of helps you figure that stuff out, obviously. Um, there's a little bit of a... Like if you keep your big at home, um, and they they come up high and set a pick, there is daylight for Tommy to come off it and just pull that. But you trust your guards to get around these things and trail and kind of stay in the picture a little bit rather than just dying on the end of a screen and getting out of there because you know help's coming. Like if you're jumping, knowing that the heat is staying on the edge of the key and you're on the three-point line you don't just triple out of there like that you get around that corner and try and figure it out and they've got like their two fives are all massive as well like Jordy's a big guy uh Lyndon's the same and he's sat kind of propped up a little bit and they've got their threes obviously who are long and athletic so I, I don't know what it is with Lyndon, but he's I don't know if it's like the width of his shoulders with his chair or whatever or the fact that he's like sat on a bit of a an angle but he always looks to me like he's going to topple over sideways in one direction or another I, yeah, like, he just looks like I guess he's sat a little bit higher than he looks like he should be but yeah, he he's just, so good. it's so mad that he just came back last year and they were like yeah I'm, I'm great um, right we'll do throwing and then we'll talk about their side of this game seeing as we're in it and then we'll talk their semi-final with Albacete because that was the business that was one of the best games of basketball I've ever seen so to wrap this one real quick, I think Thuringen came into this with a very um, very much making the point of 
we had a bad game against Alves. I think Thuringen fully and possibly justifiably believe that on their best day they would have beaten Albacete. Um I don't think they had their best game in the semi-final, which is no shade to Albacete at all, but I just think that's what it is. And they can yeah, Albacete once again, it's Albacete put them there and also <laughs> yeah, they yeah, were no. there. Like it's yeah. yeah, it's both at all times. Um, I was talking to I was talking to sorry, I just I'm going off piece here, but oh I, was talking, I, I get it. You were there. No, I was talking to someone about the fact that I've gone so far into basketball now on this podcast that I've come out the other side where I'm like, eh, it's a bit of both. Eh, make shots. Like, <laughs> we've gone so far into it that I'm like, I don't know what it is. Maybe just things happen sometimes. Like, I've just been like, eh, it's all random. And yeah. Maybe it's me not wanting to commit, but it, I think it's genuinely me going through and being like, eh, this has been a great exercise in figuring out how to think, but not what to think. <laughs> I think that's true, though. Like yeah, Definitely. So, on the Thuringia side, Vahid with 20, Haluski with 21, and then 8 and 7 from Joachim Linden and Joey Ruiz, as we just mentioned. 7 from Binak. And there's no stats that will justify it here, but it was just the endless half-court pressure defence that Thuringia threw at Landell that kind of fed this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I thought that... One thing that I thought was really weird as we go into the throwing an Albacete game, but Vahid particularly struggled against Albacete and he then came out of this in this bronze medal game playing on the same side as Yitzker a lot of the time where if nothing came of trying to get inside, he would very contently post up like a chair length or two outside the key and just knock down a bank shot. And it's like, where was... You know, you could have made this same shot against Albacete at any point. And what yeah. what is it again? Is it like a level of familiarity against Landil that you know you can get this off? Or I, I thought that was strange. I don't know what the explanation for that is. But yeah, I mean, if you're Thuringen, you've got to be feeling pretty good because you've now got to go back to the German league and play Landil in two, uh, at least two playoff games. Now I think it's three if it's like best of three series, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, this is laying the foundations pretty well for getting to take the the German playoffs off them because I think you've kind of demonstrated that you've got their number a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking to you about this. I was like, they went from 1-0 and o to 2-1 and one yeah. against in, them in... Convincing fashion both times. I, th- I think last year it was the reverse of this in the final where Landil beat Thuringen in the Champs Cup final and then Thuringen beat Landil twice to win the German playoffs. Yeah. Um, but that Champs Cup final last year was a very close game that made you reasonably believe that any future games could go both ways and I don't know if I quite have that feeling at this point. Uh, I can see it. Shoot, shoot a little better, figure some stuff out. I'm not sure. But I think the Vahid stuff, I wonder, and I have this, it's this theory, and I, I put it to any any of the like handful of absolute giants in the game of wheelchair basketball. Like, is there a thing, is there an adjustment period for when you're matched up against one of the other giants that are like, oh yeah, this guy can get there? Like, no, like, do you like go to post up against someone who is like, Say like Lee Hasso Vahid Haluski size, 
and be like, oh yeah, this guy is yeah. six <laughs> inches further up than other people. Like, yeah, I wonder if that's a thing. Like, I think like Lee being Lee and Ali, but Lee a lot of the time being around is one of my only explanations for Bahid having sort of freaked out a little bit, especially on that last layup. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. I wonder if that's yeah, a real yeah, thing. Yeah. And then the day after he was like, oh yeah, these guys can't reach. Like, I think that's definitely, we'll use that as a transition into the Albacete throwing and semi-final. But yeah, I think this was the battle of, battle of the giants, wasn't it? Way more than the styles make fights thing in Landil Thuringen, but my favourite stat of the Albacete Thuringen game is that no quarter was won by any more than two points. Yeah, Gaz showed me that, like, the second, like, the I say the second, I saw him, like, I congratulated him and whatnot, and then he was like, hey, look at that, how mental is that? But, but yeah, unbelievable game. 2020 after the first quarter, 17-15 puts Albacete two ahead at halftime. 15-13 ties it back up to end the third. And then 2018 to end the game to give Albacete a 70-68 to 68 win. Yeah, we had a conversation about the game at the end of the first quarter at one point, And it was a weird one for Albacete. Because on the other side of the ball, um, other side of the semifinals, sorry, uh, there were GB guys and guys that I knew and liked on both teams, so I wasn't picking sides. Um, but in this one, like I don't know anyone in place for Thuringen that well. And five GB guys on the other team, I was like, yeah, I am in on this. But um, Albacete being 20-20 after the first quarter, having missed, like guys missed a couple of layups. He missed a post up on Yitzka, which calling a layup. Um, Yitzka's big. But um, that normally would go in. Um, there's a couple of different bits and pieces. And I was like, does this subscribe to my, they're hanging around while not playing well. As soon as they start hitting the stuff they're meant to, they'll be fine. Or you came back to me with like, yeah, but kind of down the, down the end of the first quarter, they started hitting a couple of big ones to bail themselves out. So I was like, I don't know where this will go, but that probably means that... Fall back like, to your default position of uh, probably a bit of both. Yes. Well, no, it's probably it's a thing of like, if this takes it one way and that takes it the other way, then 2020 is probably roughly, like they're roughly even. And that turned out to very much be the case considering it took 13 minutes to get two points of difference. Um yeah, this was, I mean, we talked about the bigs from throwing and struggling. So in this game, Vahid and Haluski had a combined 29 points on 31 shots. Whereas the game we were just talking about with Landil and Thuringen, those same two guys had 41 points on 30 shots. So that's a massive drop off in efficiency right there. Um Thuringen were kind of kept in it by Jordi Ruiz, who had his best game of the tournament at this point. He was 20. Unbelievable. Um, And the the kind of lightning rod of this game was Andre Binek, who played 20 minutes and seemingly down the fourth quarter alternated between hitting enormous threes to keep Thuringen in touch and then blowing two or three layups at points which would have put them ahead. Yeah, that is... Yeah, it was like you've seen that from him before. 
not all the time. Like he's been great for a lot of teams for a lot of years, but that's something that has happened before. Um, yeah, man. Like there were a couple of big threes in it and it was like, oh, like home court hitting one of those, the drums, like it was really loud in there. I was like, oh, that might be a killer. But one thing I would say about Albacetti is like how much they all pulled together. Yeah. Was unbelievable, especially like, and I told them as much. I was like a year ago, they might've sort of fallen apart a little bit at that. Not even like as individuals, just like, like there's a couple of egos in that team that kind of weren't present all weekend. And it was super important for them to get through that. Like they kind of, they looked pretty unshakable the whole time, which is yeah, definitely as important as any of the like nuts and bolts of sure. the actual it's tactical nice. stuff. Matt, I've just been going up and down the stat sheet of this game and I'm going to do some one-to-one numerical comparisons on points scored to see how close this really was. So, Biggs on each team, Gaz with 25 for Albacete, Haluski with 21, right? Yeah. Kyle with 18, Jordi with 24. So, those two top scorers more or less balance each other out, give or take. Yeah. Lee with nine, Vahid with eight. They match up to within a point. Yeah. Lyndon with five, Alejandro off the bench with eight for Albacete. So that is probably the the next source of offense. And then both teams got 10 off the bench from Filipski for Albacete and Binek with 10 for Thuringen. So that's all the scoring coming from five guys or six guys in Albacete's case, I think. Um Filipski coming off the bench is still like I, I Mendel's not like obviously like yeah and it, like it's it's like it's it's like Gaz was unbelievable just having my point is having Filipski off there and him just not needing any sort of warm up period <laughs> is so like I think you could pull him out of like you could pull him out of like the bottom of a river and be like, "Hey, make your next shot." Yeah, like roll the stone away and pull him out of a cave after being dead for three <laughs> days, and he'll make the next shot. Like uh, Catholicism. Um, uh, I think that was very sacrilegious, actually. Um, but yeah, this was it was so close. Like even just those individual scoring numbers, like comp- contrast against each other, it are like too close to call in the bigger picture, but should we talk about the last handful of possessions of this game? Because it was utter mayhem. Yeah. I honestly don't remember what happened. Like the third last possession of the game. So the, the stretch I remember is Albacete ball. They had to inbound from their own end line against the Thuringen press. They got an inbound pass. The second pass got stolen, I believe by b Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a Kyle turnover in there that was like, oh, no. Who, Binek stole a pass, led a three-on-two. Vahid got a post-up from just a little bit outside the charge circle. Saw Lee coming, missed it badly. Lee... Yeah, he shot that over the ring. Yeah. Lee pulled the rebound down, outlet. Gaz takes it four-on-three the other way, I think, and pulls up. Jordi Ruiz is trying to sprint back and clatters into the back of Gaz as Gaz puts a shot up, which yeah, Gaz, Gaz made, and I was losing my mind. Gaz then made the free throw, and I think it was Haluski got the last shot up for Thuringen to try and tie it, and he missed that one. 
But it was like, it was such a weird turnover, missed layup, terrible foul, made basket. And it's like that made basket from Gaz with the foul took Albacete into the final. It was just at the end of such a close game. Yeah. No, the the last possession of... Uh, for Turingen, there was an offensive rebound that bounced out and Binek caught it in the free throw line and there were five seconds on the clock and everyone was just like yeah oh god yeah it's live like I was I was joking with the boys and I was saying I genuinely like he caught it and it was almost like he was like I don't know how long's left like I'm not sure like everyone just kind of sat and looked at him to the point that he was like I'm so open I feel like something's wrong like, yeah it felt like, like he was shooting an actual free throw without and, and I wonder if everyone had just sat perfectly still would he have just held the ball for five <laughs> seconds but yeah so he missed that which put them in there and yeah we haven't spoken about Albacete's ability to deal with the Turgan press but I think that was massive because it's like one having the just the chair and the the handling to get out of a press is one thing. But one one of the things that I think Albacete are so good at is because they've got two absolutely elite wing scorers and ball handlers, one of them being a four and one of them being a two, yeah. is if they get any configuration of like either Gaz or Kyle and either Lee or Alejandro over, it doesn't matter. Like they're they can flip the switch from press break to half court offense. Yeah. Well, I think nearly anyone. And it's like, get over, get Kyle behind a screen, like extended two chair lengths outside the free throw, uh, outside the edge of the key. And just that's good offense is mental. Like, I think that's what helped them. Yeah. Well, I think teams, I think Thuringen generally feel like they can press anyone because they're mobile enough, but. I think teams see bigger teams and are like, hey, we can press these guys. And it's like, well, that might not work as well when your bigs are Lee and Alejandro, who've both made a career out of pushing the floor on basically anybody you put in front of them. Yeah. Um, hey, what about we step in front of a train? Is yeah. that a good idea? Like, <laughs> Right. Shall we jump onto the final? Because then that's this more or less wrapped up. Oh, yes, but first I'm going to interject with the fact that there was a, like between the court and the hotel was like a five, 10 minute walk and there was tram lines in between. And my last prediction for the tournament was someone was going to get hit by a tram on the last night, but it didn't happen. I'm glad it didn't, but I was like, this is dangerous. There's too many lines coming. Like someone's going to look the wrong way after a beer and I'm really worried. (laughs) But Okay, the final... The final all Spanish affair, as predicted by Greg Warburton. Fair play, Greg. You you were so close. Um, tell you what, I'm into predicting by Greg Warburton, and that was a 14 point Albacete win over Alunion. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he would have predicted that. It's not like imagine a- being like, yeah, so we're going to do all this, and then they're going to absolutely paste us. <laughs> like um, they didn't get pasted. I'm only joking. But um, I spoke to someone the night before the final and I was like the best thing for everyone involved is that none of the four coaches have to do any video between now and tomorrow because they just know the crack um it's just hey bring your like Vaquero um bring your bring your Albacete game plan out of your back pocket like take it out of your wallet like uh Esther go into your 
notes on your iPhone and take your Albacete game plan out. I mean, your Illinois game plan out. Yeah. Like, yeah, shout been- out to Esther, by the way. If it hadn't been Philandil winning last year, I think she'd have been the first female coach to ever win Champions Cup, but it happened literally last year with Janet winning. So bad luck on that one. But but still, that monumental achievement to be yeah. a female coach at the, both of them, like being female coaches at this level and being so successful is amazing. Massive, yeah. Trailblazing. So as we hit the final, we should probably talk Kyle Marsh at some point because he's got a passing mention this far, but he was the best player in the tournament by an obvious margin, I think is probably fair to say. Um he didn't make the All-Star 5, which is somewhere between disrespectful and flat-out laughable. Um, yeah, yeah. He had 26 points in the final. He had 18 in the game prior. I don't remember what he had in the first game, but it was enough to give Cantu not a chance at winning a shootout. Yeah, and he was handling consistently. Also, like, they won the tournament. Uh, did anyone else play 40 minutes, three games in a row? Um, maybe from like Lacane, maybe. No, oh, no, I mean on Albacete. Oh, right, right. No, I don't think no. so. Like he's uh, Gaz, maybe. Did Gaz come out at one point? Again? Yeah, no Gaz, no, Gaz came out in every game for bits. Okay, well, Gaz played 40 minutes in the final, but he might have come out in the the um, earlier ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. Kyle uh, was... Sorry, I, I called you out there. That was unnecessary. Uh, no, 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 but I mean, Kyle is... <laughs> Kyle was the only person that played 120 minutes on the team that won it and yeah. was unbelievable the whole time. Yeah, um, I think that what got me with this game was he made a couple of shots early and they then, Illunion were then like, we're just going to use Sara to jump Kyle relentlessly and send him inside. And there was a play where he brought the ball down the right wing. Sarah jumped him. He reversed the ball to whoever was at the point. And because of where the camera was, he went off screen for like two seconds. And then when they passed the ball back inside, he'd obviously had Sarah jump him and he'd just gone to the basket and shot a post up over her, like engineering that away from the ball. And it's like, okay, if he's going to do that, then we are, you know, Albacete have all the answers on this one. Yeah, because um, that's, that's always been something he struggled with in the Illinois matchup is going against the size of their bigs. Yeah, um, no, he was unbelievable. Um, Gaz was also all of us anywhere to win a Champions Cup, everyone needs to be absolutely firing. Um, random bits and pieces in the game. Um, Philipski's unsportsmanlike was mental. <laughs> um, you saw it, right? You saw that he was just not looking where he was going and cleaned, cleaned Danny Sticks out. Like, as far as I could tell from where I was, that was completely just like, no, it was, he was looking. Because, like, the ref blows a whistle behind him, so he turns around to be like, what was that? And then accidentally clears someone out. But just after, an, an, like, a, I thought that was an unsportsmanlike, the first one. I thought they called it as that. But... Yeah, no, that was completely insane. Fifi having four fouls in about as many minutes. Nine minutes. To be fair, in the nine minutes he played, he shot four from four. So I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Um, completely unbelievable. That's what I mean. It's like just roll him out and let him go. He had some tough ones, man. Um, do you agree with me that Terry was sat for too long? Yes. I don't think anyone would reasonably debate otherwise. 
No, I, I think that was a bit strange. Like, because the whole thing was they pulled him because Pablo Lavandera's wheel needed inflated and they tried to do that in like a equipment stoppage and you're not allowed to inflate a wheel in that stoppage. You're only allowed to swap one. Yeah. So they had to pull him. And my thing was like, do a Jason kid, drop a water bottle. Like, do, do no, I'm not, I'm not actually condoning like those weird things. But my thing was like, Find a way, or if not, sub them for 45 seconds. Yeah. Um, I was so shocked that they didn't just like, I, I, when they subbed them and sent them down the end of the bench. And I know you want to, like, if you're, I, I wonder if there's a thing of a coach of being like, oh God, when do I swap to a different lineup? And this is given to you. Do you go, all right, we'll give this lineup three, four minutes? Like, yeah, do that. But man, what was, sorry, you have the stats in front of you and I haven't bothered to pull them up. Um, do you know, I'm trying to figure out, is there a way to figure out what that non-Terry lineups plus minus was? Yeah, I can try and figure it out on the fly, but my initial point was going to be at least they in Terry's absence, they got six solid minutes out of Danny Diaz, who definitely didn't play like he'd never seen a basketball before. Yeah, he blew a couple of layups. He had a tough one. Yeah. Um, I, I was on this early, man. I said it, said early on in the season, I was like, this guy is not going to give them what they need. And I feel incredibly validated not nothing personal at all i just don't think he he's not an imitation of terry by any stretch of the imagination and he's not particularly well suited to playing with terry because they got him a couple of open layups and he blew them and it's like hey, this is what they need out of their non-terry bigs right here yeah um yeah it's was, it was, it was tough um but no i just i think terry not being back in the game was a mistake. Like as far I think as I can tell that lineup without Terry in. So Terry sat for six minutes and that lineup was outscored by seven in that time. So that's half of the overall deficit. Sure. What was Terry's plus minus overall? Oh uh, Terry was minus nine, but I think that was factoring in him coming in and out at one point in the first half as well for like a minute or two. I don't know if that was fa- oh yeah, that would have been foul trouble because he was on four. So I think he got his third early in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then I think he came out and Illunion did like the new lineup surprise thing and ran a couple of quick baskets in before half time. Yeah. I know that that new lineup is also good. Like, but um, yeah. But yeah um, this was yeah, so that was disappointing. But yeah, this was just Terry stuff aside, I think Albacete have obviously been in the same league as Illunion all year. And although Illunion got one over it on them late in the season, I think there is enough of a body of evidence to say that Albacete would have gone into this game knowing that they've done everything they needed to do up to this point to prove they were the better team. And, and without Alejandro, who played yeah. 30 minutes? like Give or take, yeah. Um, yeah, 33 after sitting out the entire... I think this was like his fifth game of the entire season and it was the Champions Cup final. Yeah. Um, no, and the whole thing with him is literally just like at this point, it's like shoulders fine. I just haven't done anything, so I'm knackered. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just looked like he was blowing, but so, putting con- that sort of effort in 33 minutes in a high stakes game when you're coming back from an injury is unbelievable. Yeah. And he was class like mental. Um, controversial theory. Yes. In- Following Alejandro's departure from Illunion to Albacete, Albacete now topping the league 
winning Copa del Rey last year and Champions Cup this year. Was Alejandro the secret to Oliver Lunion's success? I don't know if that's fair. Um, I think Terry had something to do with it <laughs> all those years. But now he is far and away the most consequential, like, big three yeah. in that league. Like, I'm not even close. Yeah. So... Like that, he's he's nuts as, as in as far as like a center goes like he's yeah, a foot taller than all the other Spanish threes like yeah it's um I mean we look at the minutes here Alejandro was plus twenty in his thirty three minutes and by comparison Amadou minus seven in twenty seven minutes and Pablo was in the game for nineteen minutes and was minus fifteen Oof. and it's like if that if that's the the swing in the battle of the big threes, assuming that they have semi-equal level of shooting around them, which I would give the shooting edge to Arvissetti because it's yeah, Gaz, Filipski and Kyle versus Terry and Greg. Uh, I think Bill is like option three on Illuminion, but is not the outside shooter those guys are. When yeah. you've got that outside shooting edge and the disparity of going inside, like we've not even mentioned Lee in that element, it's like no. the, the deeper you get into this, the more you are, yeah, Albacete are better constructed and it showed. Yeah, very first play of... Um, no, I think that was another game. Never mind, never mind. Sorry. Good I was going to have something. Shall we finish on that? Yes, all right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No, Mark, what is your All-Star 5? So my All-Star 5 was... The, so the actual All-Star 5 for the tournament was Yannick Blair, Jordi Ruiz... Amadou, Bill Latham, and Gaz, which I think most of those guys are pretty deserving. Kyle not being on there is an atrocity, and people should apologize. Um, but my personal one was I was going to go with Francesco Santarelli of Cantu because although Yannick was pretty good, he doesn't play a hugely standout role in Landil. I'd be interested to see Yannick play for Cantu actually just with more opportunities like going inside and finishing, but maybe that's just me being like a magpie for points. Um, yeah, that's you being a magpie for putting people on Cantu. That too. Yeah, well, there's two other Aussies going to Cantu in my head, so maybe Yannick should go there as well. Um, need a one. But um, Francesco Santarelli, Kyle, and then... I had Jordi Ruiz. If anyone wants to swap him out for Thomas Boma because I was half a point under, then go ahead. But I think Landil's results didn't merit an all-star five selection. Um, and then my other two guys were Alexi Ramonet because I think he was the difference in Lacane being fifth and possibly last. And Bill Latham because he was consistently very, very good for a team that finished second. Oh, yeah. Any arguments? Um, it's funny. Like, I am actually, like... The, so the thing is that All-Star 5 gets picked before the final and the semi-final. No, just before the final, actually. Um, it had to be in by 5 o'clock. Yeah. And the final tipped at 6. So if someone had an unbelievable bronze medal game, you could have scribbled a name out and put one in. But getting to the end of the tournament, I'm actually pretty happy with the... All-star five, but I would have Kyle in instead of Jordy because... Yeah, I think that's fair. 
yeah. yeah or if you want to do the thing that the IWF have no problem doing and just put Kyle in there instead of a one and just go <laughs> half a point over. Well, yeah, I think I think the um, other thing to bear in mind is that nobody benefited more from the selection cutoff time than Amadou, who had twenty eight in the semi final and eight in the. <laughs> yeah, I think that like that was a big enough game in the semi final that I was like, yeah, he's been the all star, and then I kind of forgot about it by the time the final was on. But like, yeah. I don't know, like for a three, like Tommy, yeah, Tommy, Tom- like. Tommy was kind of on my. He was my last cut, but like I say, I. It's the. It's the. It's like he had the benefit of that as well. Like last game not being great. Yeah, definitely. Right. Shall we get out of here? Yes. All right. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll be back uh, next week. Just less than a week's time. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Just peace out, son. <laughs>